I find one of the biggest issues that we come across in somewhere like Orange is being able to get a doctor's appointment for a lot of people. Just the simple needing to get in, get a repeat prescription generated, and then also access to more specialised services. Like I do consider Orange a bit luckier than the rest because we do have um, specialists, but the wait times for those can be huge. And that's often a conversation you're having when they're coming to you wanting to help bridge that gap and saying it's going to be six months before I can see that specialist and showing up wanting some help. So I think the best thing pharmacy can do is keep being accessible, keep your training up. The voice you just heard was Melanie Moses, owner at Blooms the Chemist in Orange, New South Wales. And Melanie will be one of three guests on a panel in today's episode as you listen to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. This time on the PVCN podcast, we're sharing a session I hosted at the Australian Pharmacy Professional, or APP, conference earlier this year. And during the session titled, Are You the Future of Pharmacy? I got to ask some great questions of three inspirational business leaders about the stepping stones that had led them to this point in their respective careers. And while it's a serious topic that people were there to learn from, There were lots of laughs along the way, so I'm sure you will enjoy it as much as those in the room did. Now, on the panel was Lucas Patchett, Melanie Moses, and Brad Butt. Lucas Patchett is one of two founders of the Orange Sky Laundry. Orange Sky came to life when two best mates had a crazy idea to put two washing machines and two dryers in the back of a van and wash and dry clothes for the homeless for free. Lucas and his best mate, Nick, embarked on a journey to build and grow the world's first free mobile laundry service for people experiencing homelessness. Melanie Moses is a pharmacist and owner of Blooms the Chemist in Orange in New South Wales and is passionate about providing healthcare and services in rural areas, particularly for health outcomes for the local Indigenous community and the disadvantaged and disabled. Brad Butt, who you've heard on the podcast before, is the managing partner of Coolamon Court Pharmacy in the ACT and founder of Men's Health Down Under, which is a pharmacist-led men's health clinic. Brad's been awarded a host of awards, including the category and overall winner of this year's Guild Pharmacy of the Year Award. Here's Lucas, Melanie and Brad to discuss Are You the Future of Pharmacy? I'll begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are gathered here today. And I pay my respects to Elders past and present and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today with us. My name is Daniel Oyston and I'll be facilitating this panel session today. My voice may sound a little familiar to some of you because I'm the host of the Guild's Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, but it's great to be able to ask some questions face-to-face for a change. Um, And this session is made possible by Blooms the Chemist, the session sponsor. Uh, and I'd now like to welcome Emmanuel Vavoulis, the Blooms CEO, to speak briefly about his career progression. Uh, thanks, Daniel, and um, hello, everyone, and welcome to what promises to be a um, quite an engaging session. My name's Emmanuel Vavoulis, and as Daniel said, I'm the CEO of Blooms of Chemists, and I've been a pharmacist for 24 years. I'm extremely proud to be a part of a profession that helps people, um, gives them advice and support, and I think it's an absolute privilege to be a part of. I became a pharmacist because I've always wanted to help people. I wanted to work with them directly. I wanted to know, get to know them better. I wanted to understand them, and I wanted to make a difference. When I bought my um, first pharmacy in 2006, I remember being um, quite nervous and quite excited. quite excited to to be part of a community, uh, excited to offer them um, something something extra um, to make a difference to their lives. And I was also excited to lead a team, to to mentor um, other pharmacists and um, other assistants within the pharmacy and to offer them any leadership. Over the past 16 years, I've, I've learned a little bit, I've seen a little bit, I've made some mistakes, but one thing that uh, always stuck with me is 
if you put people first in when whenever you need to make a decision, whenever you're whenever you're not whenever you're unsure which way to go, if you always put people first, it always works out to be the right approach. And it's never let me down. My advice to the younger pharmacists in the room, um, just from some of the little older or a few more grey hairs than you, is when a customer comes in or a patient comes in, you need to give something of yourself to them. They come, when they come in to see you, they're unwell or they're vulnerable, they're stressed, they've just got some bad news, they're probably not the best version of themselves. And at that stage, you need to, to come down to their level and you need to give something of yourself in order to help them. Making a positive impact to the customers and the community doesn't just happen. It's a choice that you make every day. And you've got to constantly ask yourself, have I done my best? How, how am I going to make a difference? It's a commitment we make as healthcare professionals to ourselves and to the community. Today, we've got some inspirational young people who they're going to share their, their journey and their challenges and, and their triumphs with us. I hope their experience inspires you uh, to become the best pharmacist that you can be. Thank you. Uh, Lucas is going to be with us uh, very shortly, but of course we have our panel members here today, panel members who are innovating entrepreneurs uh, who are here to share their vision and talk about their, their pathway uh, that they've taken to their dreams. Uh, and the reality really is, and it's all about making the world a better place. First off, we have Melanie Moses, pharmacist and owner of Blooms the Chemist Orange and was a finalist in the 2022 Guild Pharmacy of the Year. Melanie was born and bred in Dubbo, New South Wales, uh, and that ignited a passion for providing healthcare and services in rural areas. Uh, as a pharmacist owner of Blooms the Chemist Orange, Melanie is very passionate about creating uh, greater health outcomes for local in the local indigenous Indigenous community, but also disadvantaged and disabled people in the community. And in 2021, Melanie was awarded the Orange Parkinson Support Group's Community, and I love this word, hero, uh, for her services in creating awareness and fundraising in the community. Uh, we also have Brad Butt, pharmacist and owner of Coolman Court Pharmacy in Canberra, 2022 Guild Pharmacy of the Year winner. Are you sick of that yet? No. No, didn't think so. <laughs> Uh, Brad is the managing partner at Coolman Court Pharmacy in the ACT and also, uh, importantly, founder of uh, Men's Health Down Under, um, a pharmacist-led men's health clinic. He's a pharmacist passionate about the health and well-being of his local community and the broader Australian male population. And he's got quite a list of awards. I said to you earlier today, you have a bit of a, a, a knack of picking up awards. He was awarded the Australian Patients Association most Outstanding Community Pharmacist Award in 2019, the University of Technology's Innovative Pharmacist of the Year in 2019, and the ACT PSA Pharmacist of the Year in 2020. And of course, many will, as I said before, Brad winning the Guild Pharmacy of the Year yesterday. So welcome to the panel, everyone. I'm really looking forward to what is uh, sure to be an inspiring conversation this afternoon. Um, I'd like to start us off by asking you guys here, uh, just to share your career journey a little bit today, tell us about what has motivated you to take the, the, the path that you've taken. And we'll, we'll start with you, Melanie. I don't know if this is on. Yeah, it definitely yep. sounds it. Um, so I decided I wanted to be a pharmacist when I was in year 10. Um, and I coached a um, local pharmacist's daughter in netball. And um, he said, year 10 work experience, come do that. And I was like, okay. And um, I'd been working at Subway and I really liked customer service. And um, then I went, I thought I might want to be a doctor. And then when I saw health and business come together, I decided that I definitely wanted to be a pharmacist um, and that I wanted to have my own pharmacy. Um, and my path was then set in that direction. So I moved from Dubbo to Orange to study pharmacy, um, knowing that I would always be in a rural area. I thought that was going to be Dubbo, but it turned out to be Orange. 
and um, my preceptor's even here in the front. And so when I finished uni, I had great mentorship with Taryn and um, that really set me on a good path to then find an opportunity in, in the local community with Blooms. Um, they set me up very well with um, one of the directors, took an interest in purchasing the store with me and we've had a great time together um, doing that. And I remember from day one it was always, how can I make this person come back again? Um, and and really be like an extension of the family and make them feel very comfortable that they can come and ask me and now I'm serving their kids and then generations and it's very fulfilling. So excellent. Yeah, that's my journey. Very good. Lucas, I'll, I'll, I'll welcome you in, in a second, but we'll, we'll move on to Brad for now. What, what motivated you and inspired you to take the path you've taken? I, I was a bit like like Mel, um, so year 10, I thought pharmacy would be good and um, worked in a pizza shop. Um, so customer service was right up there, but also worked in a community pharmacy and um, that was under the tutelage of a fellow called Greg Hannon. He had a community pharmacy for 30 years in regional New South Wales and um, and it was a pharmacist's advice, which at, the, at that point in time was really fundamental in sort of this idea of Ford Pharmacy and getting the pharmacist out from behind the counter. and. Um, you know, in a regional town like that and probably like where Mel was working, the pharmacist was the go-to for all sorts of minor ailments and um, you'd go to the pharmacist before you went to the doctor. And I thought that was really wonderful. Mum and Dad were on the farm. Mum was a nurse by trade. And um, so this diagnosis of minor ailments really rung true to me and I thought, that's cool, I'd like to do that. So um, I probably never considered medicine, but um, pharmacy seemed like a really good way to go in terms of being able to help people on, on the coalface without having to do additional study as a doctor, um, and then you had all the products that you could sell from within your pharmacy, which made sense to me. Um, so uh, fast forward 10 years through university, I ended up back in Armadale at that same pharmacy, um, met a Canberra girl, back to Canberra, um, and uh, and I've been at Coolan Court Pharmacy for the last nearly 12 years. Um, and it's funny, they talk about the seven-year itch and... Um, now, I don't know if anybody knows about seven-year itch, but that can apply to your, your um, professional life, your personal life. And lo and behold, yes, I got the seven-year itch about seven years and I thought maybe medicine would be good. Um, and then at that point in time, opportunity came to buy into the pharmacy and um, so we did that. And then probably five years later, I got the itch again and men's health sort of came about and we formalised that. Um, so there's always been something to motivate me, but that itch keeps coming back and has to be scratched. So... Uh, use it as motivation. Don't change your career. Stay in pharmacy. It's a wonderful career. It's really rewarding. Um, and the patients appreciate that longevity in, in knowing you for a prolonged period of time. But um, you just have to evolve your practice um, your practice, and your, your skill set a little bit. My mum was also a nurse. Did you find it insanely difficult to fake a sick day at school? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what. It's very difficult. She she had us vaccinating herself at home from probably age 12. Yes, they've done that too. Yes. <laughs> it's enough to do it ourselves. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. I'm still traumatised. Thank you. Um, and, of course, uh, Lucas, Lucas Patchett, who's uh, founder of Orange Sky Laundry and in October 2014, two best mates had what is described as a crazy idea to put a couple of washing machines and a couple of dryers in the back of a van and drive around and wash and dry clothes for free for the homeless. Uh, his friend was Nicholas and, of course, uh, they went on to found Orange Sky and formalise it and then went on to become the 2016 Young Australians of the Year, which is an, an amazing achievement and a real recognition. Now, Orange Sky is it's the world's first free mobile laundry service for people experiencing homelessness. However on their mission to improve uh, the hygiene standards around homelessness, Nick and Lucas actually ended up stumbling on something much bigger and more significant probably, which is the power of conversation in the community with those people. So I'd started off by asking Brad and um, Melanie about what inspired them to take that journey. It, it's described as a crazy idea, but, but what, what is the inspiration for the crazy idea? Yeah, absolutely. And apologies again for um, making a grand entrance there. And trying to tackle the M1 on a Friday afternoon, always leave double the amount of time you think is maybe learning from that. But um, I think personally the motivation behind Orange Sky really started for us when we were much younger. When um, At the age of 15, I had an opportunity to go out on a food van that fed people who were doing it tough that my school actually ran. And, and as a 15-year-old heading out 
and the first morning being absolutely terrified and not knowing you know what to expect and who I was going to talk to and and then all of a sudden turning up and having a chat and there's a fellow by the name of Harry there who just blew away all my stereotypes around homelessness is he reminded me of my uncle he had the same stories that went on and on and on forever and terrible jokes um, but yet he was sleeping on a park bench and I can remember 15 have that moment a kilometer from where I went to school and thinking that this guy could be my uncle or could be my my dad and and uh, having eyes open to homelessness at such an early age was such a critical part for us so we did that for a couple of years at school really enjoyed it left school missed that opportunity to give back we um, always did sort of crazy ideas they just got a bit more expensive and a bit more risky I think and and um, a couple of years out of school came back from overseas and we'd spoken about this idea around how we could almost do similar to what we used to at school but something we didn't want to reinvent that we didn't want to um, replicate as well we wanted to you know create something new and, and novel so started throwing ideas around and, and landed on this idea of washing and and um, gave it a crack and, and off we went. Outstanding. Melanie, growing up in uh, regional New South Wales has clearly been a driving factor for you as a, a pharmacist and a healthcare professional. What sort of challenges do people in rural areas face in terms of accessing healthcare and services and ultimately what can the industry do as a whole to, to help meet those needs? Yeah, um, I find one of the biggest issues that we come across in somewhere like Orange is being able to get a doctor's appointment for a lot of people, just the simple needing to get in, get a repeat prescription generated, and then also access to more specialised services. Like I do consider Orange a bit luckier than the rest because we do have um, specialists, but the wait times for those can be huge. And um, that's often a conversation you're having within, with people in the pharmacy and that conversation, they're coming to you wanting to help bridge that gap and, you know, saying it's going to be six months before I can see that specialist and showing up wanting some help. So I think the best thing pharmacy can do is keep being accessible, keep um, keep your training up and um, to provide those options. I'm excited about the announcement related to continued dispensing because I think that's that's been an amazing way that we can help people. Um, we also put a diabetes educator on staff in our pharmacy and that has made, um, you know, a huge difference to being able to help such a, a big need in the community and sometimes people don't always recognise that need themselves too. Sometimes we're having to go, look, we can actually help you out with this. Um, so there's some things they come to us that, you know, maybe, maybe can't help but there's other things that we can help identify and connect them with. Um, and I guess the other thing I find in my pharmacy, um, and I suppose I've touched on it a bit in things with the AJP, and that is we do have a, um, people who are doing it really tough. Um, you know, that for a time it was during the drought, so that in a rural area can create all kinds of challenges um, for people with medicine. And then, then COVID comes along and people who would have typically been coming in from those towns that are 30 kilometres away, whatever, they can't get in because they're, they're having to isolate. So that's about when we started doing rural deliveries and going out to them. And it's interesting to see um, people in those areas start to, you know, pick up services like get their groceries delivered and all of that and how pharmacy can play a role in the way that people are now engaging with new technologies and use what we've got um, for people who, who are opening their minds more to those things um, and, and adapt to the changing circumstances. So... Because it's an interesting point when you see tough times in, in communities, particularly rural communities, yep. we hear lots of stories about the public pulling together and helping each other, yep. but clearly businesses need to and do do that as well and it's important. Yeah, like even we just have a chat to each other and support each other, see how it's going. Like I know at times in town with the staffing shortages and um, people have been on the phone, can you lend us a pharmacist or, or, or come together that way? Um, but, yeah, even the local business owners checking in on them, trying to shop with them as well, like support them, they support you, um, is always key too. You didn't get a call from Subway to come back for a bit? No, but weirdly, I forgot to mention that in my journey. <laughs> so I, I actually worked for Subway for about 11 years and I loved it. Um, and then my retail manager now was one of the first people I worked with at Subway. So she went and did a psych degree and she came in and then my... Um, one of my staff members he, who worked with me at Subway, he came and um, worked for us as our delivery driver, did pharmacy, just did his internship, just registered. 
my sleep apnea girl. We work together at Subway. She now works with me. <laughs> and so we all started downstairs in the centre and now we're upstairs in the centre. And Who's working at Subway? Sorry? Who's working at Subway? No. Uh, we wish them all the best. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought Subway being a... Uh... A feeder into the pharmacy industry. Brad, we touched on it briefly before uh, Men's Health Down Under as part of your career journey. Tell us what it's all about and, and what was the inspiration for getting it going? Uh, it, it's about uh, men's urological health, so that pertaining to incontinence, their penis, their testicles and their prostate. Um, uh, so anything that goes wrong with that, um, we can help them with, which sounds strange perhaps for a pharmacist. You might say, well, that sounds like the bread and butter of a urologist, and that is the bread and butter of a urologist or an endocrinologist even. And um, funnily enough, in the pharmacy, and I'm sure everyone that's, everyone that's worked in pharmacy gets this, people come into the pharmacy and they ask you all sorts of questions. Now, I've cut my leg with a chainsaw. Can you, can you, can you strip it up? No. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, um, you know, I'm about, my wife's about to have a baby. Uh, can, can you help with that? No, I can't help with that. That's hospital. Um, uh, I need a penis pump. Is that something you can help with? No, I can't help with that. Oh, hang on a sec. Penis pump? Yeah, actually, let's talk about that. And um, uh, so this gentleman came in and he was after a penis pump. He was one of my regulars, a diabetic, so I knew him well. I'm pretty slapstick with the patients. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm happy to laugh with them and, and have a joke and take two minutes out of my day to, to entertain them. And, um, and Michael was a bit like this too, and I said, how are you, mate? And he goes, yeah, I need a penis pump. I said, right, what are you here for? Are you here for your script? I'll go and get it. No, no, no. He says, I'm here for a pump. I said, right, that's no good. We better go and talk. So we went to the consult room and um, the, the short of the long story was he'd had his prostate removed and his urologist wanted him to, to exercise his penis with one of these penis pumps and do a few other things, an injection and take some medicine. And, um, and I had no idea what it was about. I shed a tear. He shed a tear. Um, it brought us together and it was a really interesting experience. So I, I contacted his urologist and said, mate, you've stitched me up. What's going on? And um, the urologist said, come into my office and we'll, 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 have, we'll chat. And we did chat. And um, next thing I know, I had imported my first 100 penis pumps from the US into Australia. And my wife wondered what was going on. <laughs> and... Um, and and we had this gentleman fixed up, and 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 you know within within the space of two weeks, this guy had his penis pump, and was on the road to recovery. Um, so that's kind of where it started. So the motivation was always to look after the patient. And um, you know at that point in time, when my wife got the parcel from the US with penis pumps written on the side of it, asking the courier what it was, um, it was a it was a side hustle. It was something that was fun. It was unique. It was different. It 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 gave me something else within the pharmacy to focus on because it can be laborious in a pharmacy at times. You know, you're vaccinating 100 people a day um, and this looked to me like something could be different. So it presented itself to me and you do get that. So keep your eyes open. There's little diamonds out there everywhere. They're rough, but you can polish them. You said you like to have a joke with the patients. That's yeah. good. But we know that traditionally the barriers men face in accessing healthcare can be quite specific. How do you go about creating awareness of the services that Men's Health Down Under provides as well as uh, encouraging the community to uptake those services because while we are getting better and we can have a laugh about it, men aren't great at seeking out help around their health. No, we know that the, we know that the average wait time for a bloke to, or the time between issue and diagnosis of erectile dysfunction is three years on average. So for the blokes in, in the room here, if you've got ED, it's going to take on average, three months for you to talk to your GP about it. Three, th sorry, three years. Three years is a bloody long time to, to be dealing with that. It can destroy relationships. Um, and you'd think it'd be motivating. And I guess what we've found in Canberra is that it is motivating. You know, we talk about, talking before about obesity. You know, guys, well, no, we carry a few extra kilos, but, you know, one way or another, we'll, we'll move it at some point. If we don't, it doesn't matter too much. Um, yeah, it affects our cardiovascular health and our cholesterol and, you know, maybe diabetes comes into play. But we'll get to that at some point. We put it on the side. Whereas erectile function, if you know that there's somewhere you can go and get that resolved pretty smartly, it's a dead easy one. And it's a real, it's a really easily, it's really easy to motivate, motivate a male to get healthy, fix up some underlying problems if they can get good erectile function. Their lives change. Um, so it wasn't hard to, it, it hasn't been hard at all to get traction. I guess it's awards like the Pharmacy of the Year and, you know, 
we joke about it, you know, there's a little mantle at home with all these bloody awards. But you know what it does? Your words. My words. My words. But it creates awareness. And I think I think that that's important. And not just awareness in the public domain. The public couldn't give a rat's about, you know, the, an award. Well, my community care, but your communities couldn't give a, couldn't give a brass rat's too. But it means that I get to sit in front of you guys and tell the story and you say, hey, that's unique, that's different, maybe we could do that. And, um, you know, we've, had, we've been fortunate to have that opportunity to do that a few times um, in different forums and more and more pharmacists come forward and say, hey, tell me more, how do I do it? Or even better, I've actually got a problem, can you yeah. help me out? And that's perhaps the more rewarding one for me. It's an interesting point because they, they say that on average people can only actively work on and carry seven problems at a time at the, at the front of their mind. So erectile dysfunction, baldness, whatever other problem people are having, it just gets pushed to the bottom because it's, it's too hard. Seven's the average. I know for me it's about four, probably you four, so I think the female's probably about 13, 14. Yeah, but the, the, the key point there being that if you can position services and help people solve problems easily and show them how to do it, they'll elevate that problem that they've been pushing away and take action, and that's how you get engagement. Lucas, your services have now expanded out into remote communities. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why that's been an important step? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's been a, a big journey. And so Orange Sky now has got 35 services across 25 locations here in Australia, three across two in New Zealand, and then I um, currently have eight um, services down across Northern Rivers um, supporting in the wake of the, the floods that have devastated Lismore and, and further south of there. And and part of that expansion that we've done over the last couple of years was um, expanding into some remote Aboriginal communities. So Orange Sky started off with this um, notion of wanting to improve hygiene standards for people who are experiencing homelessness, realised very quickly it was much more than that. And I think you know, the pharmacists, um, there's a lot of similarities in pharmacies of people go there and go there for answers or go there for community, and especially in smaller smaller communities. So um, our sort of mission evolved quite quickly from improving hygiene standards to um, connecting communities and bringing people together and, and really based around conversation. So um, we sort of iterated and went through laundry and, and then we built a shower vehicle and then we brought the two of them together and brought laundry and showers together and then um, heard some statistics about what's happening in remote Aboriginal communities and, and things like scabies, trachoma, rheumatic heart disease are in high proportions than anywhere else around the around the country. And there's the four corners a few weeks ago about rheumatic heart disease and absolutely devastating um, that's killing kids in, in our in our backyard. And and hygiene is a, is a critical part of that. And laundry is a big, and there's big barriers to laundry in, in remote communities. So we thought, well, we know a thing or two about laundry. This is something we can probably help with. And the, the sort of fixed model had really been tried in lots of communities before. So we said, well, maybe if we flip the model, um, use use a vehicle and, and use an asset to um, bring that to those communities, maybe that could have a, have a different impact. So we've now got um, eight services across remote communities, Kimberley, a couple in the Kimberleys, a um, couple in the Cape, um, Palm Island, a um, couple in um, Arnhem Land as well. And, and that um, those vehicles, it's different to the one that's here on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane. It's not staffed by volunteers, it's staffed by local community members who might work for the local health organisation or might work for the local council and they um, use that tool as an engagement tool to get out to communities to talk to people about their health and about their, um, you know, how simple thing like washing clothes or washing the, the sheets can can eradicate scabies and can can get rid of um, bed, bed bugs and, and those sorts of things. So, yeah, as a, I think for us looking back on the journey now, it's there's been these little tweaks and little evolutions along the way and, and now... Um, but it was started with this idea of washing in a van, but then um, has grown to all these different applications along along the way. So that health will always be a critical part and, and hygiene, obviously, but probably more of a focus in some of those remote communities. Do you find it hard keeping a lid on how far it can expand? I think that's the exciting part. It's It's the overwhelming part sometimes as well is that we're the only people doing this in the world. We're now seven years ahead of, you know, anyone else that's kicking kicking offer similar thing to us and it's not about for us creating competition within helping people it's around how do we collaborate how do we do that better so for us it's about how we keep altering and evolving the model to have a fit for purpose approach in every community that, you operate, that we operate so we have vehicles that um, the sort of stock standard orange skies here on the Gold Coast we've got a van we've got 150 volunteers they take it to 15 spots across the week and and they um, provide showers and, and laundry services. Then we've got a place like Hobart, which is a smaller service, smaller community of people um, that take it out. And then we've just launched a service a couple of months ago in Toowoomba, but we actually don't have a van there. We've, we 
actually we get volunteers to rock up at the local laundromat. Um, the cafe next door puts on coffees. We invite people from the local community to down to um, create a sense of community and, and that the PBCN a, podcast, and, supporting and your journey every step of the way. The for more resources, so for to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, guild.org.au. Create similar scalable options, but um, really tailor it to those communities. And that's different in the Kimberleys, is to the Gold Coast or Toowoomba. Mm, that's an interesting and important point. Melanie, regional and rural areas with spoken about you working in those already but tell us more about the health initiatives that you've implemented in your local community which is orange what sort of groups are you specifically working to support and ultimately why do they need that yeah um we're passionate about a lot of groups but particularly indigenous health and that just started um with a lot of conversations with the aboriginal medical center and seeing um like we would notice in the store for example um, we do do a large proportion of close the gap prescriptions, but um, sometimes someone would start on a Webster pack and it'd go uncollected for weeks and weeks. And um, that there was every now and again, someone would be like, "Oh, they've gone made inactive," and I was like, "Well, that's not okay. We need to we need to actually figure out what's going on here. Let's go and chat to the Aboriginal Medical Centre and put and get some perspective on what's the best way to connect and be helpful." Um, and from that, we generated um, a more specific stream of our Webster packing catered um, to that community and that was reducing some of the cost barriers further than what the government were reducing. A lot of people were getting caught out with the cost of vitamins that they knew they'd been prescribed and they but um, because of the cost of that it unfortunately put them off taking the rest of their medications and so we put things in place to step in there that we thought was a really important initiative. Um, one of the other really big areas that we've worked on health initiative-wise was deliveries and something we've always done, but um, COVID basically brought to light how essential that service really was um, for us. And so expanding that out to seven days a week of deliveries. Yes, Sunday, you do have to pay, but every other day going, no, we, we can, we're here, we can do this. We can do this beyond orange. We can do this, um, you know, full-time. Um, and then, you know, putting some technology behind that as well to make it um, make it smoother. Um, and then I guess the other big thing is working with the disability sector um, around. And that is, like you said, the power of conversation, just sitting down with those groups and, and giving some of your time to understand what their needs are. And then from that, I've done a bit of consultancy work with them and be able to build things that are meaningful to each of those organisations. And then you give back a bit with training and putting together your own training programs and then you find um you find that um you're able to sort of grow that relationship and connection in the store um yeah so there's some things that we're doing um and then more recently with the um homeless community in orange we just seen this update that about a medicare program for the um, continuing medicines for homeless persons and i thought that's never even heard of that and that and that curiosity opened up um, a conversation with Local Housing Plus to now be able to offer those PBS medications completely funded for their clients. Um, and it's now the next stage is what else can we do in that space? Because it's really, it's really special to be able to do something there. Listening to you speak, there's lots of opportunities, but also challenges. So I'll stay with you for the moment. Okay. Coming up with ideas and trying to implement them can present, I've written here a few challenges, but to be okay. honest, it's probably going to be a lot of challenges. Uh, talk us through how you overcome challenges. Do you bring other people in? Do you just push through? What's uh, your approach? Bring anyone you can in. Like ask, ask for advice if you need advice. Um, I feel that's something that comes comfortable to me in the Blooms Network. Um, people are a phone call away or... Um, I do have good support within the business as well. So be open with your team, ask them for their feedback. Um, we ask them for their ideas because if they're passionate about something, then then you've got them behind you as well. So we get their input. We have a meeting every month um, and, and we do really value that. Um, challenges, I've given up. I had a saying that used to be on my computer for the first like few years, like don't ask for a lighter load, ask for a stronger back. And then um, sometimes you do just have to, you have to push through. 
but um, it's so rewarding um, when you do push through and somebody says, yeah, that, that made a difference to me. So um, that's always the motivation. Brad, apart from the difficult questions from your wife around penis pumps being delivered to the house, what other challenges did you face and how do you overcome some of those challenges? Oh, look, I think the, the biggest thing is you don't know what you don't know. And that might sound ridiculous, but, but that's the honest truth. Like the urologist said to me, I want you to help these guys with peronies. Earth is peronies. Quick Google search told me what peronies was and... Um, and then the next Google search was, how do you fix Peronis? <laughs> and it took me to a forum. And um, as you well know, with these consumer forums, you know, that you, could, you can take horny goat weed or you could take, you know, all sorts of different things, but, but maybe they don't work. So, look, I guess for me, it was the, f the fact of the matter is you don't know what you don't know, but you need to know where to find it. And, and that might be going to picking up the phone and calling, a, calling the urologist's office. Yeah, he might not talk to you or she might not talk to you straight away, but you know what, if you... If you leave a message, you know, they'll, they'll come back to you at some point. And if they don't, follow them up. Um, it could be just a simple one at the GP. I'm not sure what's going on here. Can you find out and come back to me? So don't ever be afraid to put your hand up and say, I'm not sure. Let me find out the right answer and come back to you because that's what will make the difference to the patient. What about you, Lucas? Orange Sky, world first. There's no other businesses or, or, or similar examples to follow in the footsteps and, and copy or improve on? How do you can't overcome some of those challenges, which you probably can't actually anticipate a lot of them because it's a new service? Yeah, I think when we were first starting, like challenges are part of who we are and, and we talk about it being part of, part of our DNA. And I think, um, yeah, like I said, when we were first starting, it was about defining a test and starting small and then growing it from there and, and quickly like iterating and I think innovation and um, entrepreneurship and all those things can be um, overboiled sometimes. It, for, for us, what it comes down to, having an idea, giving it a crack. If it works, good, keep refining it. If it doesn't, change it, tweak it, and then either keep doing it till, till it does work or just stop doing it, I think, as well. So I think it's like those small steps. And when I look at our first van that we built compared to the vehicles we build now, like it couldn't be more different. Like the first one was shit and beat up and broke down all the time and didn't have water and power on board. It was purely just like a, a um, shell with some washers and dryers in it that took everything in and, and dispelled everything out, whereas now we um, operate off solar and battery powers. We're using 80% less, um, less electrical energy than we were in those first vehicles. Um, we're more efficient, so we're 90% less downtime, like all these things that um, have come out, but that hasn't been a jump from there to there. It's been like hundreds of little steps along the way. So I think it's... Yeah, find those challenges, not tripping over them and, and keep pushing through, and, but taking those small steps as well. Yeah, and it's an important point because if you're lucky enough to start a business or come up with a new idea, it never launches as perfect. If you try and make it perfect before you launch, you will never, ever launch. And so being able to launch and then uh, evolve and change and you know the fancy words like pivot and, and things like that are important. So just get started and, and then figure it out while you're going to a certain extent. Brad and Melanie, you both stepped into pharmacy ownership at a young age. I'll start with you, Brad. What was the driving force behind taking that step and, and can you give any insights to those in the audience here today who might be thinking about being pharmacy owners in the future? Oh, look, I think everybody's experience is different. Mine was one of... of I need to be involved from a business perspective. It makes sense to me. That's how my brain works. Um, and I was fortunate to be in the company of some really good people um, with Life Pharmacy Group and, and the, the guys that were, in, that were in business in the in the pharmacies that I was involved in were really supportive. And they said, yep, no worries. Come on, we'll have the chat and we'll figure it out for you and we'll make it work for you. Um, you know, and you've got all those questions going through your head. You know, how, many, how much percent? How much will it cost me? How do I get the money from the bank? Do I need to talk to mum and dad? All those things. And, um, and again, you don't know what you don't know and, and you have to ask lots of questions. So I guess for me it was um, ask lots of questions of the right people, the mentors, the people around you, people you'd worked with previously, um, and, you, and you, know, you kind of you figure it out. Um, yeah. We're going to start to wrap this up because I'm sure there's going to be some, you said, ask lots of questions. I'm sure there's going to be some great questions from the floor. So I'll start with you, Lucas. Just quickly, what are the plans for Orange Sky in the foreseeable future? Yeah, so for us, we um, 
COVID hit, so quick backstory, obviously COVID hit, Orange Sky is built around this notion of people coming together from all walks of life in a public forum and having conversation, congregating for periods of time. So that had a big impact on us operationally and, and really severed a lot of relationships and volunteers, situations change and a lot of um, people who are experiencing homelessness were put into hotels and motels around the country and and so it's changed the demographic and changed the face of homelessness um, forever I think and and so for us as we're two years on looking back um, or midway through that we said well we know that the only thing we know about the next year is it's going to be wrong so let's go five years and and the prospect of setting a five-year kind of strategy was pretty interesting as a five-year-old organization um, so we did that and and so the key thing in that was tripling our impact, so impacting 40,000 people and doing it twice as efficiently um, in 2025. So we're a couple of years into that now, um, continuing on that path. And, and what that what that means is growing, but not just growing for the sake of growing. It's being really tactical and really strategic with where we are growing, where we are placing the vehicles compared to the laundromat pop-ups, compared to our pods, compared to our community response shifts, and, and really being, um, I suppose, considered with with where we put those put those assets. But also the key thing that kind of underpins Orange Sky and has been, we're founded on is, like I said before, this notion of having an idea, giving it a crack. So baking that into everything that we do. So a lot of those ideas have come from um, sort of within that sort of innovation stream within Orange Sky. And so exploring lots in that space, we've invented our own clothes dryer. And um, that, like I said before, enables us to use less electricity, be solar and battery powered and reduce our downtime. So rolling that out. Um, across the country through to um, we've got a software platform that we sell to other not-for-profits to manage their volunteers and measure their impact. And, and that's a long-term revenue play for Orange Sky, but um, also helps the sector be more efficient and more impactful as well. So I think for us, core thing of supporting people who are experiencing homelessness or doing it tough in, in whatever case um, that might be, getting to 40,000, but really continuing to find ways to innovate along the way. So that might be through a new dryer or software platform or um, a, a new type of service offering and, and really excited to, to lean into that. It is exciting. Mel, apologies. I realised I moved on to Lucas before allowing you to offer some advice and, and insights for those that might be thinking about owning a pharmacy one day. So we'll, we'll backtrack. I think about owning a pharmacy. Oh, I was so clear. I knew exactly that was exactly what I wanted to do and I love it still. Um, but then I've worked with plenty of people who aren't clear about it. But if you're not clear, give it a go or get around people who are doing it and, and try and see what it's about. Um, there's plenty of people out there who are great mentors. I had an excellent uh, mentor um, going in and that probably solidified it for me as well. Um, it's, I always knew I wanted to do it because I love the reward of having a team and then also having the customers um, um, being able to really create the changes that are required to deliver things that that are meaningful to people um so yeah I, yeah i love it and, and we'll stay with you what, yep. what are the plans over the next couple of years yeah I've, I've got a couple of stores that i'm consulting on in the northern territory as part of a partnership and i'm finding that really interesting um because somebody did me the service of being my mentor when i started and now it's it's i have to learn how um, how to give back in that way and I, I'm finding that really rewarding but I'm still in orange um, with my store there and I think COVID made us get really clear on um, and it's also when you look at the what's coming at you we got really clear that we want to help in the the disadvantaged space the compliance space and so with that clarity and with uh, putting a lot of effort into our team culture we've got the right people to really drive that forward um, and that's where we want to be and I also have a really um, strong interest in the aged care space but the aged care at home because people aren't going to necessarily want to be moving um, into nursing homes um, but what can we do for them in the community so that they feel comfortable in their own space and I feel that ties in nicely with our compliance um, passion and medication management passion so that's that's where we're going. Also exciting, busy. Love it. Okay, very good. And Brad, you said you weren't sick of it yet, so I'll say it again. Guild Pharmacy of the Year 2022 <laughs> winner. Where do you go to from here for the, for the next year or so to ensure that you win back-to-back -back titles? Well, well, we'll give it a nudge. We'll give it a nudge. Um, uh, maybe we will. Um, I, I'd be actually interested to talk with Lucas. We're, um, so I guess we've got... There's, there's a couple of things on my radar. One is is the inclusivity thing, and you know we had we had young Daniel up with us yesterday, and 
and on Wednesday as well. And um, so Dan, for those who didn't see the video, has got Down syndrome and he works with us. And I just think it's a wonderful thing to, to be inclusive like that and to bring somebody into your team from your local community that um, brings passion and uh, camaraderie to your team. It's been, it's been a wonderful experience for our team and for our local community and for our patients. So I, that's one message I want to get out. So that message is now out to you guys, over to you. Um, the second is uh, next year, about this time next year, we're going to pack up my family. So I've got four kids and a wife and um, we're going to do a trip around Australia. So I might be interested to talk to you. We're going to try and deliver some men's health services to outlying um, parts of Australia. So we're going to do a big lap and um, have a holiday and spend some time together and try and educate men and, and communities about men's health, men's urological health, um, and not to waste time, but just to give you an example, some of these guys in regional areas, um, the things they have to do, had one bloke tying up his penis with hay baling twine to keep it erect. So, you know, that's not appropriate. That poor bastard shouldn't have had to do that. Um, so, yeah, just creating conversation around men's health, delivering service and, and networking and putting people in touch with the right people to get these issues fixed up. Passionate about the cause, family holiday, spread the message. Back to back. back victimless back to crime. Back victimless back crime. Um, well, I've had the, the pleasure of being able to stand up here and ask the questions of the panellists. I'm sure you in the audience here have probably got some questions that you would like to ask. So we've got a couple of minutes. If you've got a question, just raise your hand. Oh, come on. Good. Not, not directly, and I think it's a common thread and lots of things probably that triggers thoughts of people around haircuts or around um, mental health services or housing services and, and really for us what, our, um, what we believe is that there's 57,000 charities here in Australia, there's so many people doing amazing work, there's over 300,000 services available on any given week for someone who's homeless around the country and um, so there's a tremendous amount of help out there and, and a lot of people doing sort of trying to do steps A to Z of homelessness and that's a, a big um, challenge is that it's so complex and there needs to be so many pathways for people. But for us, it's really about kind of knowing, you know, where's the place that we really want to be the best at and, and really own and that's in the laundry showers and, and conversations, but then bringing in those partners. So the great, our biggest asset isn't actually our vans or um, it's it's the community that's created so the chairs and, and the volunteers and, and that enables more services to come down. So uh, Share the Dignity is an amazing group that collects sanitary products and distribute them. And they um, stock a lot of the places that we go along to, same with clothes, same with haircuts, same with our mental health services, is that it actually happens on Orange Chairs around the country. There's haircuts that happen every week on Orange Chairs, but it's not done by Orange Sky people, but we purely provide the the facility or the, the safe place to do it because that's the, the magic of Orange Sky is that safe place. So. yeah again it's one of those things you don't know till you know i suppose so I'd, i've worked with down syndrome kids for a little while um in the pizza shop i worked in originally we employed a, um, a down syndrome kid to fold the pizza boxes so when you went to the pharmacy the, every box was folded by a down syndrome kid but um uh implementing that into the pharmacy was something we'd always thought would be uh advantageous both to the business and to the pharmacy um and to the community um and dan was a patient coincidentally um and i talked to his mum a couple of times he was working for a packing mob that did all the um, in-flight food for Qantas and um they lost the contract to Qantas and Dan was made redundant and uh, I checked in with Sylvia, his mum, and she said, yeah, yeah, look, Dan's ready for work. I said, oh, great, <laughs> we'll have to get a letter of offer and I've not done this before. But um, um, So we got him a letter of offer. He's employed as a pharmacy assistant um, level, probably, I think it's level two. Um, he comes with an NDIS paid carer. Now, obviously, Down syndrome, there's a full spectrum. So Dan's 
verbalizations aren't perfect. So he's probably a little more work, but absolutely you could find somebody who's somebody with Down syndrome who functions very normally. Um, but Dan needs his carer, so the carer comes with him. Um, we had a team meeting prior just to say this is you know, this is Dan. Dan's going to be doing these jobs. Um, so this, that's the expectations. He's going to have a carer who is carer's changed a few times over the years, um, and and then independently of that, just up you know letting letting the team know what is Down syndrome. Um, what are some of the anomalies with Down syndrome people? So you know they can be really fixated. So they might become really tight with. The boys tend to be pretty tight for girls. Um, so, you know, you've got to word the girls up, you know, just to be a bit careful. So there's all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think if you communicate well with the team and with um, other providers in your, in your community like Down Syndrome Australia, they're really good. They've got good resources um, and good contacts. Um, even within regional areas, they can, they can probably help. Um, that would be my advice. That's, I'd probably go to them. And then just look, in your, look who comes through the door. There could be a perception that bringing somebody like Daniel into your business, for want of a better phrase, creates a, a lot of work with, with integrating them and, and, and supporting them. I've only got a couple of minutes, but on a scale of one to ten, how hard is it? Uh, uh, ten being hard, one being not hard, two. And, and on a scale of one to ten, one being not much benefit to ten being it's amazing, what's it like being having, having oh, him in the business? Fifty. Fifty. <laughs> So it's easy to do and there's heaps of benefit. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, the stress just dissolves. Like that's, that's probably the main thing. Like Dan will come in, you're having a really stressful day, vaccinations are smashing you, there's five Webster patients waiting, everyone's stressed. Dan comes out and starts twerking and saying hello to people. And, and, and all, the, all the punters in the pharmacy, they're like, you know what, these guys are actually good people mm. that we, we, we're happy to be patient. So I think, um, yeah, 50 Excellent. Well, we need to wrap up, but please, massive round of applause to him. It was a great chat. Penis pumps, scabies, all in a day's work for our guest today. I really enjoyed this session. I found it inspiring and heartwarming, and I really hope you enjoy getting to know what provides the drive and the motivation for these three to get up each day and put the community first. Well, as we head into the final quarter of 2022, I can't believe how time has flown by. And coming up next month in October is Cyber Security Awareness Month. It's a month to turn your minds to what you can do and to be fair, must do to protect your IT systems and of course your patients' data. Look out for our special upcoming episode with a focus on cyber security because it's not one to miss. Until then, I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 107 of the PBCM podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.